Hello, and welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we're booksmen. And weird booksmen. You say that every week. I guess that's part of it now, huh? That's just part of it. It's for me to say weird booksmen after you say weird booksmen. Yeah. Um, I guess we are weird booksmen, huh? We we yeah. read weird books. I mean, we don't really we- read weird books. I think we You're read actually... You're reading How to Win Friends and Influence People right now. Yeah, it's like probably one of the best-selling books of all time. Yeah, that's weird. That's not weird. A bunch of people read this book. Oh, you, you're, oh, all, all good people read this I'm book. I'm sure like Tom Hanks has oh. read this book. That's probably... Uh... <laughs> all right. You, you legitimately sold me now. <laughs> That's probably how he, how he probably reads this book every morning before he uh, goes to set. What would someone or, have to do to make out, you... out to dinner with his wife. Well, no, actually, he probably he didn't to read, read it that, that one time. time yeah. yeah. Um, how much would someone... Have, what, what would someone have to do to get you to read that Tom Hanks book about like... Uh, short stories about like typewriters or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not real interested in that. <laughs> I'll I watch him in any movie. I'll watch any viral video of him berating a, a man on the street. <laughs> I I I admire. I think it's neat that he's really into typewriters. Uh, I I I think ty- I don't. I'm not as enamored by typewriters as he I can't is. Can't relate. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but I think they're neat. Like I would like to maybe have one typewriter one day, like a cool old typewriter. But I uh, but I think as far as like rich man hobbies, it's a pretty cool uh, rich man hobby. Well, I heard he's he's got some other rich man hobbies as well. <laughs> Tim, I told you to stay off a of four chan. All that stuff, it, it's bunk. I don't think there's any justification to, um, and this doesn't apply to Tom Hanks, but like in a standard New York City apartment, there's no reason to have a typewriter there. It's just gonna take up space, and it's too yeah. loud. You can't you can't type on a typewriter in an apartment. I'll have I'll have my my neighbors calling the cops on me every day, every day. Enough enough typing in there, enough yeah. uh, uh, typing on that typewriter is what they'll say. <laughs> uh, the, Slamming those keys. Yeah, exactly. Cops don't have a better vocabulary than me. (laughs) Right. They were just typing. That's all. Yeah, that's the only word I know. Hitting the carriage return and and slapping the the roller back. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. But. But. You know. It's. He could be. You know. He's a rich enough guy that his thing could be like. I'm really into Ferraris. Yeah. Like I, I find that boring when it you know when there are really rich people it's like this guy's into collecting you know uh uh not even like vintage cars just like into collecting supercars and it's like it sounds like that guy has more money than he knows what to do with yeah that's like Jerry Seinfeld has a, a yeah. garage in Manhattan which mm-hmm. is probably like larger than like all the homeless shelters put together which great (laughs) and it's just filled with cars like so many cars that like he would have to like drive a different one like six times a day uh to drive them all in a year yeah it's like well why are you doing this yeah i mean i to play devil's advocate though uh you know that that stuff probably only appreciates in value so it probably and honestly the fact that like oh this this porsche was owned by jerry seinfeld like probably also adds to his value so he's not throwing money away to keep mr beans away from those cars but mr bean loves cars too tim Mr. The Mr. Bean, uh, Rowan Atkinson would probably love to come over, and maybe he has come over and taken a look at uh, Jerry Seinfeld's cars. I'm sure he has. I bet those two love talking about cars and how fast what's, they go. What's the deal with cars? And then he goes, <laughs> "Exactly, exactly, my friend." <laughs> <laughs> 
should take this out on the road, Tom. <laughs> you guys hear about uh, the time Mr. Bean went to uh, went to visit Jerry Seinfeld? It went a little something like this. Tom, as soon I, as I jump, <laughs> do an hour of that. <laughs> It's just Jerry Seinfeld just going like, yes, you're absolutely right. No, no, the the model year, uh, they only made a hundred of these. I get it. No, I don't understand obsession with cars. Like, I understand um, appreciating engineering. (laughs) Me, neither of us have ever been even been in a nice car. This is true. <laughs> but like you can like an airplane is a like is a feat of engineering mm-hmm. and it's not like oh now that I've been on an airplane all I care about are airplanes. Yeah, some people collect airplanes, airplanes too. Yeah, well, John Travolta. Well, and, he's cool. Tim, and don't tell me that he's a weird man. He's a completely <laughs> normal down-to-earth guy. I I like John Travolta. I mean, he is a very weird guy, but it's like, ah, he's my. It, I I like that kind of weird. <laughs> Being anyway. in a cult. Tom, you can't say that. They'll come after us. They'll shut this Patreon down. Tim, they're not. They, they, the these, Church of the, Scientology will seize our Patreon. They Before you know they it, it's, it's a, books the podcast could be that bucks to listen to Dianetics us. every week. <laughs> uh, I Tim, remember when I went to the the Scientology headquarters and they they couldn't even find my file in the computer. They're not going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, Tim, this week I continued reading the book that I started reading last week, as the prophecy foretold. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Do you think mm-hmm. Tom Cruise <laughs> has been on the internet in the last like year? Like do you think do you think he is connected to the internet daily, Tom Cruise? I think people probably print things out to show him every day. Right. But yeah, I don't I don't think I would be surprised if Tom Cruise like had a smartphone. Yeah, in some ways, I uh, I admire Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, I could totally see Tom Cruise being like, "No, I have like you know this Nokia because the battery lasts. Uh, you know, I can talk for a uh, yeah, hundred hours Nokia. on it. If something, if, you, if this thing beeped and somebody will like think something's gonna happen, and somebody will just like hand him a new phone. Yeah. He just yeah, has but, people around him all the time, right? Like he can just be like, "I want a soda." Like this is this is uh, <laughs> this is all Tim, I can think Tim, of. You're this, always this, thinking big. <laughs> <laughs> I want a soda. I want a ride in a nice car. <laughs> no, but like at any moment, there's somebody there for him to request slash demand something, and it is brought to him, right? I I have to imagine that's the case, especially because he famously, you know, is always working. He's always on the clock. Yeah. So he probably doesn't even. Uh, well, I mean, he wouldn't have to pay for them if they're Scientology slaves. But also, he probably could have regular assistants. And it's just like, oh, I just build a studio for these people. Yeah, that's true. Okay, cool life this guy has. I also build a studio for that soda I wanted that, uh, <laughs> wow. that they came and brought to me. Because yeah, guess be what? Nice. I was I was learning how to fly a, a helicopter at the time uh, for yeah. a new movie. So this studio is this soda is on the studio. In the script, my character uh, crashes a helicopter into the side of a mountain. <laughs> I don't think uh, Tom Cruise probably drinks soda. No, probably not. Probably doesn't drink Man. liquor either. He probably only drinks like I would say like water and then probably like something weird like piss. <laughs> yeah, water and piss. <laughs> you know, because of some like no, it it filters but not his own out. Piss. <laughs> right, like like yeah, 
the the piss of like virgins or something like no this mm. helps this uh uh keeps my body clean and and working at 100% capacity you think he's got reptile skin under his regular skin no i don't think there's anything like that weird about him i don't i think the only thing weird about him is that all of his teeth are shifted over by one tooth <laughs> yeah. but other than other than by that half I, a tooth <laughs> yeah um which is super weird because you look at old pictures of him and he had fucked up teeth so it's like oh he got his teeth fixed that's fine that's perfectly normal a lot of people do that yeah, but then it's like, like a... but why did he get them done this way why didn't he yeah you would think it would be the standard way to get it done to look normal <laughs> yeah because if you look at his old teeth if he was like... the only guy who ever got his teeth replaced he'd be like whoops they, they gotta they gotta work out the kinks of like oh, yeah. the, the one tooth can't be in the middle there there's two in the middle <laughs> Because if you look at old pictures of him, like he's got bad teeth, but they're not all shifted over like that. Right. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, uh, in his but, mind, it does. And he's just like, well, can't argue with the results. Yeah, exactly. What Top am I, Gun who made am a I billion dollars in like a, I, in a week. There's, there's only, you know, one guy that we know about that's got one front tooth instead of two front teeth. And the guy just uh, made a movie that made a billion dollars. So yeah. who am I to say? Not me. Maybe, maybe if we all got that uh, dentistry done where we got one front tooth <laughs> instead of two, we'd all be successful. Maybe that's the key to a success, not Scientology. Hmm. Maybe well, that's that's what keeps maybe us it's all the combination. That's what keeps us all glued to the screen when he's on. All right. Well, <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> Tim, I uh, I read more of this book. Uh, how to uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And, Carnegie. Uh, Carnegie. And uh, uh, that's this how is, they say it on NPR. That's how they say where on NPR when they say like this is sponsored by the Carnegie Foundation. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, I don't know because they like to do things weird on NPR. <laughs> uh, part two is titled Six Ways to Make People Like You. Six Ways to Sunday. No, Six Ways to Make People Like You. Uh, that is a cool chapter title. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's exactly what you've come to the book for. And he's just mm-hmm. like, here it is. It's, uh, it's kind of like the original listicle, Tom. Well, it's funny you say that because there's there's a, a subchapter title later that is just uh, if you don't do this, you're headed for trouble. And I have in my notes about I'm like, oh, that's a clickbait title. Yeah. Like Man, this, this guy's doing Dale clickbait before. Us, yeah. Because you see that as a, it, maybe you're thinking like, hey, it's time to close up the book, go to bed. But then you read a chapter. If you don't do this, you're headed for trouble. Well, shit, I got to see what that is because I don't want to be headed for trouble. Exactly. And if I die in my sleep tonight, then I'll just be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never know. Go- I'll go to hell because maybe <laughs> yeah, I did yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Tom, um, uh, when you're really into a TV show, do you ever get real nervous and think like, oh, it's like I'm watching Better Call Saul right now and there's like, uh, I think like four me or five too, episodes but I'm, less. But I'm, uh, a, I'm, a, I'm only on season three. Yeah, I'm all caught up. And so like, okay. I think there's like maybe four episodes, maybe five episodes yeah, left yeah, at this they're, point. They're wrapping it up. It's week to week. And I li- literally think like, oh no, I hope I don't die within the next <laughs> month because I want to see how this show wraps up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's like, I always feel uh, like a, a a sad kinship whenever there's like a Make-A-Wish Foundation thing and it's like some poor kid <laughs> that's just like, please, I just want to see like the new Star Wars or the new Marvel movie before I die. And it's like, I get it. Yeah, I. but also like, look, neither of us mm-hmm. that we know of, knock on what is a terminal illness... Yeah. Um. So like, I'm like, 
<laughs> if I'm going to prepare so we, for we'd death, have an uphill battle my, convincing the Make a Wish Foundation. Exactly. To, yeah, I've, I've been writing uh, Vince Gilligan. I mean, like, there's a chance I could like get hit by a car or something. Yeah. So can you show me the next four episodes call. just yeah. in case? Um, but also, like, you got to think I got bigger fish to front. Like, there are bigger <laughs> yeah, regrets there are bigger I would problems. have if if I d- died next week. It wouldn't be like, mm. man. Did better call Saul survive the whatever the oh also I didn't get to see my son grow up yeah exactly that's what I should be concerned and I don't ever think like uh I hope I don't die so this doesn't happen I guess I just generally have an aversion to dying I don't want to die at all there are a lot of things I'd miss out on. Because you know that Saul's not going to die. If he does, it's going to break continuity. Well, Tom, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> All right. Did they introduce like a, a twin brother that we previously didn't know about? They introduced some stuff that, uh, look, let's get back to, let's are, get back are, to solid ground, to they, safe ground. Did they introduce the idea of the multiverse into Better Call Saul? Oh, my God. If they did that. I, you know what? I'm officially out on anything multiverse now. We, I've had enough of the multiverse. I get it. Um, and you know what, Tim? That's fine. Because in a different universe, there's a Tim that's just getting into the multiverse. Uh uh Tim, uh, uh, like I said, six ways to make people like you. Fan- I'm going to read the entire opening paragraph because there is a fantastic opening paragraph here. Why read this book to find out how to win friends? Why not study the technique of the greatest winner of friends the world has ever known? Who is he? You may meet him tomorrow coming down the street. When you get within 10 feet of him, he will begin to wag his tail. If you stop and pat him, he will almost jump out of his skin to show you how much he likes you. And you know... That behind the show of affection on his part, there are no ulterior motives. He doesn't want to sell you any real estate, and he doesn't want to marry you. It's a dog. A dog wants to marry you. <laughs> uh, how do you I know? Mean, it, how do you know, Dale Carnegie, who a dog wants to marry? <laughs> no, he mentions later that he had a he had a few uh, uh, very rough divorces with dogs. <laughs> really rough divorces. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's the no, only way that's the only way a dog divorce goes, Tom. It's always <laughs> gonna be rough. Uh but you know, he learned the hard way that a dog doesn't in fact want to marry you. Um But then he mentions this and it's something I've never thought about, but he's right. Did you ever stop to think that a dog is the only animal that doesn't have to work for a living? <laughs> Guard dogs have to work for a living, Tom. That's true. But he, but he talks about like an, a bunch of other animals where he's like, you know, uh, chickens have to lay eggs and, yeah. you know, uh, like donkeys have to pull stuff. And it's like a dog, a dog's just got to be your best buddy and you'll take care of it. And it doesn't have to right. do anything else. Is that um, what he thinks everybody should be? Like a kept uh, man or woman? Or it's <laughs> yeah, just like just a, a, be, a kept uh, animal. friendly enough to, and people will uh, just want to be your friend and give you money and yeah and just take care of you yeah uh but then uh things do take a quite dramatic turn out of nowhere in here where he's talking about uh the dog he had as a boy and he says tippy was my constant companion for five years then one tragic night i shall never forget it he was killed within 10 feet of my head killed by lightning Tippy's death was the tragedy of my boyhood. So wow. apparently, that he was, was a close walking call for uh, for old uh, Mister Carnegie too. Yeah, and also like, yeah, if you're walking with your dog and all of a sudden a bolt of lightning strikes your dog dead, yeah, hard not to think like, you know, hey, what were you trying to say, God? What's the deal? He probably here? did. He was probably doing that one thing that set him down the wrong path. <laughs> And God was like, I'm taking your dog. <laughs> I'm taking your dog right this instant. Um, but a lot of this is about uh, listening to people. Okay. 
That's one. Of, that's one of the ways to uh, make what? people like you. <laughs> what did you say? Get it, Tim? This is Sorry, why nobody likes out. you. Uh, Might be. There, there's. He talks about uh, uh, that the New York telephone company, and this is. I mean, it's funny just because nowadays, like everybody's very you know privacy focused. But he just kind of casually mentions the New York Telephone Company made a detailed study of telephone conversations to find out which word is the most frequently used. It's like that doesn't sound like a good enough reason for them to be doing a detailed study of every telephone conversation. How do they get away with that? I mean, I guess back in the day when it was like, operator, get me a... Yeah, you know, George Smith, and they'd be like, "All right, George Smith, hold, please." Like the operator just stayed on the line the yeah, whole time I th- after she well, put the the wires in the holes. Yeah, I think just back then there was not like an expectation of privacy. Okay, you know when you were on the phone, but also yeah. because it was like I don't know back then you were probably on the phone like once in a while. And the and the rest of your life, you had privacy in everything you did. Yeah, I think that would be the case. Like when you're speaking into like technology back then, mm-hmm. it's like you'd be like, "Oh, of course I'm gonna like." It's not safe here. Uh, the, 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 anything could happen. Then we became all uh, okay with it. Tom, sorry, I'm I'm spiraling over here. Uh, my like, Dayquil is 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 wearing off. <laughs> it's like the uh, the 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 pot of boiling water with a frog in it. Yeah, where the frog? And well, and and this is the beginning Kermit. of it. Then the New York Telephone Company uh, listening to every conversation, <laughs> but the most frequently used word was "I." Okay, which like, I don't think you I, need to like listen to telephone conversations to. And also, it's like, I get it. You're trying to make a point about, you know, people think about themselves, not about other people. But uh, what do you expect? If you're on the phone, you're going to be talking. You're going to be talking from your point of view. If you're saying you on the phone a lot, then that comes off as like accusatory. Yeah. You son of a bitch. You never hear (laughs) I I, son of a bitch. It's always you son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he basically just talks about how, uh, uh, you know, people don't think about other people. People don't listen to other people. This part I thought would, uh, would interest you because he talks about meeting a famous magician. Oh yeah. Uh, What magician? Uh, he doesn't name names. A lot of times he doesn't name names in this. And I think it's because he's making stuff up, but, uh, (laughs) Maybe he's just trying to give some anonymity to these people. Um, so did you just think like, oh, he means uh, Houdini probably? Maybe, because he talks about the, that this uh, magician told him about another magician uh, that said uh, a lot of magicians would look out in the audience and say to themselves, well, there is a bunch of suckers out there, a bunch of hicks. I'll fool them all, all right? <laughs> But then uh, this magician, he declared that he never stepped in front of the footlights without first saying to himself over and over, I love my audience. I love my audience. Ridiculous. Absurd. You are privileged to think anything you like. I am merely passing it on to you without comment as a recipe used by one of the most famous magicians of all time. Tom, every time that we before we record these episodes yeah i was thinking we love our patrons we love our patrons yeah and we do we do that uh, usually as long as the episode is yeah so for like a solid hour we'll say we love our patrons we love our patrons just to remind ourselves and then Mm -hmm. we'll do the episode it's a good vocal warm-up as well yeah. Actually, that's usually uh, why we're so hoarse by the time we record this. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, well, then the next one, controversial. Uh, I didn't mark down, by the way, all the six ways uh, what they were. What? You're going to have to. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, were they I good? don't want to give away all the book. 
Um, yeah, but they they all kind of like blend together. Yeah. Um, but this one is uh, a controversial one nowadays, which is that uh, he believes people should smile more. I don't think it's controversial to smile more. I think it's controversial I, I, for him to I've, tell people I've, to smile more. I've heard you say that. I've heard you make that exact argument to women in the street, Tim. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you talk about how you're excited. You know, you would love to have a debate. Um, and, you know, they're not. Yeah, no, not I, in, I want to uh, change my mind. Yeah, they're not interested in smiling for you or debating you. Uh, you usually then say something utterly disgusting that I won't even repeat about them. <laughs> um, uh, but he talks. Do you but think then, you should smile more? Um, I mean, again, in this, he does make a lot of good points about that. Just like smiling is a way to get another person to smile. He, I think, where the line here is is he's not saying like. Hey, smile, you know, we should all be smiling to each other in the streets. But basically, like, look, if you're smiling trying to in get the sheets, if you're trying to get something out of somebody, giving a genuine smile to them, like starting the conversation off on a good foot, you know, like even even if it's something like a customer service problem, if you come in and you smile and you say, hello, how are you doing? Yeah. And that they're likely to smile back and say, I'm good. How are you? And then say, well, here's my problem. Instead of storming in with a scowl on your face and being like, oh, like a dang Karen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he says, this, does this he I talk about was, Karens in the book at all? He, I don't think they had invented the name yet. That's true. Yeah. But he talks about uh, was born like decades after. This book was published. The the, uh, the employment manager of a large New York department store, wink, wink. Mm. Uh, I guess it could. I was just thinking it was Macy's, but I guess it could be Nordstrom. Bloomingdale's. Bloomies uh, told me she would rather hire a sales clerk who hadn't finished grade school. If he or she had a pleasant smile, than hire a doctor of philosophy with a somber face. And I was just thinking I wouldn't hire a doctor of philosophy to work as a salesperson in a department store. Yeah, they're no, overqualified. <laughs> yeah. And also they're, they're going to leave us down. Yeah. They're going to be like, Oh, well, what is life? Yeah. Uh, you don't, Your you don't want that philosophical musings at a department store. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. We're here to move skirts. That That's, uh, <laughs> that's what our job is. You know what? Nobody yeah. wants to hear your, your thoughts about life and what you did your yeah, doctor and meditations on. on the acceptance of death. Um, it's also interesting this book. I mean, there's like a lot of uh, like old timey stuff that I don't really understand uh, where he's always talking about like this. It's like the chairman of the board of directors of one of the largest rubber companies in the United States. Told me. <laughs> it's like, Wait, All right. <laughs> one of the largest. There's more than one. Yeah. There's a lot of like him talking about like the steel business. In in like well, short, of course he's gonna do that. Yeah, right? but uh, like in shorthand, to be a Carnegie. In shorthand, that like I don't understand where he's like, uh, of course, if you're working, if you're making railroads, you could buy your steel from Sears. But why would you do that when you could buy your steel from this man? It's like I don't, <laughs> I don't know anything you about buy buying steel at Sears. <laughs> Right, he, yeah. he he gives that as an example. It's like, oh, I guess Sears used to sell steel, uh, but uh, to uh, along the smiling uh, line here, he talks about this guy, Mister Steinhardt. Listen to this sad old fuck. Uh, <laughs> I have been married for over eighteen years, and in all that time, I seldom smiled at my wife or spoke two dozen words to her from the time I got up until I was ready to leave for business. I was one of the worst grouches who ever walked down Broadway. And and uh, and you are going to begin right now. As I sat down to breakfast, I greeted my wife with a good morning, my dear. And she smiled as I said it. 
You warned me that she might be surprised. Well, you underestimated her reaction. She was bewildered. She was shocked. I told her that in the future, she could expect this as a regular occurrence. And I kept it up every morning. This attitude, this added, this changed attitude of mine brought more happiness into our home in the two months since I started than there had been uh, during the last year. It was literally just him saying, good morning, my dear, to his wife. And then being like... And, my dear, there's more where that came from. (laughs) There's going to be another good morning tomorrow. I'm a changed man now who says good morning to his wife after (laughs) fucking 20 years. This poor woman. Like, I Mm. get it that, you know, shit used to be different 100 years ago. But, like, come on. You say good morning to the people you live with, with your dear family members. I don't think that's too much of an ask. Well, like I would, if I were Dale Carnegie, I would changed. I w- I would not put that as an example in my book. I mean, maybe at the time, Tom. Maybe maybe you. Oh, and I'm I, sure it was prevalent. Maybe yeah. you and I believe this because this book changed things, and that's the way that people began being raised right. Yeah, nobody used to smile at each other. Uh, and then he says, everybody in the world is seeking happiness. And this, I think, it, this is kind of like a Buddhist, I believe. Uh, everybody is seeking happiness, and there is one sure way to find it. That is by controlling your thoughts. Happiness doesn't depend on outward conditions. It depends on inner conditions. Hmm. Which, you know, it's right. Like, don't look for other things to make yourself happy. It's up to you if you want to be happy or not. The only thing you can control is your reaction to things. Exactly. Uh, then he then he talks about, oh, yeah. I, I'm like, why do I have this part highlighted? And I was like, oh, I remember why. And this is the, if you don't do this, you're headed for trouble uh, subchapter. Back in 1898, a tragic thing happened. Uh, a child had died. And on this particular day, the neighbors were preparing to go to the funeral. Jim Farley went out to the barn to hitch up his horse. The ground was covered with snow. The air was cold and snappy. The horse hadn't been exercised for days. And as he was led out to the watering trough, he wheeled playfully, kicked both his heels up in the air, and killed Jim Farley. (laughs) So the little village of Stony Point had two funerals that week instead of one. Jim Farley. This, uh, This means exercise your horse. Exercise your horse even in the winter or else it will kick you the first chance it gets and kill you dead. I'm telling you. Uh, Tom, I have a I have a, a justified fear of horses. Because mm-hmm. so many people get kicked in the look at the look at poor old Jim Farley. Kicked yeah. in the head. Killed by a horse. I don't know if he was kicked in the head. He might have been kicked in the chest. Hmm. Anyway, Either way, so, he was kicked hard enough to to get killed. And, uh, and what, but what? then through through like a, a series of events that I didn't completely understand, his son knew 50,000 people by their first name. Yeah. And that's what you should do? <laughs> learn people's first names? What was well, the thing th- that you have to do? Exercise your horses? <laughs> yeah, if you don't exercise your horse, you're headed for trouble. No, it's basically about how, uh, like, uh, well, no, I guess that's the next chapter. Um I think this one was specifically just about like learning people's names and remembering things about them in that the average person is more interested in his or her own name than in all the other names on earth put together. So wait, is the horse situation supposed (laughs) to mean like, like old Jim Farley uh, only came to the horse when he needed something from the horse and he didn't, uh, no, do the proper <laughs> upkeep on his with his relationship and maintenance of uh, you know what the horse needed, and uh, in life, uh, if non-horse people that you're that mm-hmm. you're trying to uh, that you need something from, you're just gonna get kicked in the head or chest by them if you only show up when you need something. You have to uh, maintain that relationship and learn their first name. No, it had nothing to do with any of that because the chapter was all about that guy's son and it was just about how his dad had died when he was young. Oh, okay. Well, then why did you talk so much about the horse? 
Because I knew you would be interested. I knew it would reaffirm your beliefs that horses are dangerous. Oh. Well, I took I took, well, I took two lessons from that. Horses are dangerous. <laughs> three lessons. And, two, exercise your horses. And three, uh, uh, maintain your relationships. Yeah. Well, and that, no, that and wasn't you're even saying the, the thing that I was supposed to learn was to learn people's first names. Yeah, just to learn people's first names. Use their first names when you're talking to them and, and people like that. He gives an example in here about, uh, again, I think it was uh, Andrew Carnegie. Um, that he was trying to like make a business deal with somebody. And let's say that person's name was John Smith. And, uh, you know, they were like finally hammering out the deal. And the guy was like, all right, well, but here's the big question. What do we call this new company? And Andrew Carnegie was like, well, of course we'll call it the John Smith old timey wagon company or whatever. Yeah. And how that just immediately won this guy over because he was like, yeah. it, he just talks about how people, it makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, that uh, people buy wings of hospitals to get their names put on them and, and yeah. they're just, everybody and they wants their buy name. buy the wing of the hospital, they donate <laughs> it so they can build the wing of the hospital. Uh, well, he talks about some people buying wings of hospitals and, um, and taking them. And uh, taking them off the hospital and uh, yeah. you know, being saying, "Well, thank you very much. I'm gonna put I'm this on this my to home." Cabo. <laughs> um, but yeah, just you know, knowing people's names important, and and using people's names. Uh, the next I, one, I don't do that. I do that overly with people whose names I know really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I, I gotta learn people's names, Tom. I'm bad with names. Me too. I'm really bad. Like when I meet somebody, I don't remember their name. I don't listen when they say their names. Yeah, me neither. That that's my problem, and I need to do that because if I make a point of it, then I'm actually like pretty decent at it. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I mean, you're too busy looking at people's asses when you meet them. <laughs> well, that's when they leave, Tim. I'm checking them out. <laughs> no, when they're facing, you're craning your neck. Or, <laughs> you're craning your head. <laughs> And they're they're saying hi. My name is so and so. And you're like, uh huh, yeah. And I'm always, that I'm always. Tuchus. That's why I'm always going in for a hug instead of a handshake. Yeah. Um, the the next chapter, an easy way to become a good conversationalist. Guess what the way is, Tim? Learn people's names. No, listening. Oh, listening. Um, yeah. And I thought this line was good because I, I think we both know people like this. If you want to know how to make people shun you and laugh at you behind your back and even despise you, here's the recipe. So he gives you this. You don't have to buy a separate book if you're not interested to, in winning people, friends yeah. and, and influencing people. If you're learning how to have people shun you and laugh at you behind your back, you get two lessons for one here. <laughs> wow, that's great. Um, and is it one of those re- things where like uh, that book is upside down? If you flip the book <laughs> over, that's that chapter. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, here is the recipe. Never listen to anyone for long. Talk incessantly about yourself. If you have an idea while the other person is talking, don't wait for him or her to finish. Bust right in and interrupt in the middle of a sentence. Bores. That's all they are. Bores intoxicated with their own egos, drunk with a sense of their own importance. Wow. He, he minces no words for the self-centered and the interrupters. And I and I think with with good reason. Everybody knows this type of person, and I think unfortunately a lot, probably a lot of people uh, reading this book, uh, you know, fit into this category. And I think that it's something you have to learn. I I uh, my grandpa. Well, one of my grandpas. I had two grandpas, uh, like Lucky. a lot of people. <laughs> one of my grandpas was a giant fucking bore and he would do this <laughs> shit all the time and like it was honestly through like growing up with him learning like oh this is a bad way to be this is bad when uh one of his uh catchphrases that that like me and my brother would always you know make fun of him behind his back 
would be if somebody told him something like, you know, something crazy had happened. Like, say you told him like, I, I, you know, won five hundred dollars in the lottery. His reaction would be, that's nothing. (laughs) And then tell you some unrelated bullshit and it would be about like i i know a guy who knows a guy who won a thousand dollars and your reaction would always be like okay i don't give a fuck about somebody else i'm telling literally told me the thing i'm excited about was literally nothing like that's (laughs) nothing is a phrase that like it's like a colloquial thing i guess but when you think about what that means it's just (laughs) like it's literally like i am invalidating what you said (laughs) I don't care what you told me. Here is something else. <laughs> that is literally worthless to me. I wish you had yeah. told. That is nothing. Yeah, that's uh, man. Never met the man, Tom. But uh, I'm yeah. sorry, he was a bore. Yeah, I well, bet he had some nice qualities. Mm, not really. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but he would just kind of he would do this kind of stuff, and and then you know he would t- he would go on and on about like some fucking asshole he met at a bar 30 years ago who like did something that's not even similar at all to what you're talking about. Yeah. Very, very frustrating man. But I feel like knowing him, I did learn. There you go. There's a redeeming quality. I learned at a young age, what a bore is (laughs) and, uh, and try to not be a bore because honestly, like even as a kid, I saw like, oh, this guy's got no friends. Nobody likes he, talking to him. Do you think he adopted that personality um, and did this just so he could teach his grandchildren how not to be? <laughs> and in a way, yeah. this was a very selfless move. Yeah, he died just like. Well, at least my grandchildren learn not to be bores. Yeah. Unfortunately, they'll they'll think their grandfather was a giant bore, but it was all he took worth the it. hit. Yeah. No, I mean honestly, I think it was that like nobody ever told him. You know, I'm sure yeah. he was like this since he was like a kid or a teenager, <laughs> and nobody told him like, "Hey, that's not how you have a conversation." Nobody likes that. Yeah. And he I just catch didn't have doing the self sometimes. Yeah, and he just didn't have the self-awareness enough to realize, you know, throughout his life, like, oh, this is why people don't like me. This is why I'm always, like, having problems with people. It's because I don't listen to anybody and I invalidate what they're talking about all the time. And instead of listening to them, I'm thinking of what I'm going to say next. Right. I do that a lot out of, I think, anxiety of like oh, wanting too. to yeah. have something interesting to say, not to drop the ball and look like an idiot. But uh, <laughs> I think there's a balance, right? Of like uh, yeah. thinking of something to say, but not, but also like listening and uh, waiting your turn to say it. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember what the what the context was, but this happened to me recently in a conversation where like somebody told me something. Uh, not like shocking, but I think like a little surprising and like, I just kind of didn't say anything at first and they were just kind of like, Oh, I guess you don't care about that. And I had to be like, no, literally like I'm processing that. I wasn't expecting to hear that. Like, that's great. Yeah. It was like, it was good news, but it was, yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm slow. My brain is slow, (laughs) (laughs) which is something I want to say pretty frequently. I'm sorry. I have a very stupid brain that doesn't work. <laughs> that, that doesn't work very fast. And I was actually listening to you instead of just trying to think of what I'm going to say next. So, it, you know, uh, there's there's a lag. It's got to catch up a little bit. Uh, but then he talks about he gives an example of this guy that, uh, again, a lot of like stories about uh, like the the telephone company. In this book, which is funny. The just telephone it's like, company was a big deal a hundred years ago, Tom. Oh, I mean, the telephone company, even when we were kids, was like a big deal. Yeah. And that was after they like broke up the telephone company into being smaller companies. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like even uh, even when we were like, uh, I don't know, like in our early 20s and teens, 
like uh, cell phone companies were, were, you know, it was a big, uh, what cell phone company you going to go with? Whereas I feel like nowadays it's finally gotten to the point of like, eh, there's three companies. They're all about the same. They all cost about the same amount of money. Yeah. And they're all giving your money to the freaking, I mean, giving your information to the government. Yeah. And uh, other uh, countries' governments too, probably. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he, he talks about how, well, this is what I thought was funny that this guy, I, some customer was really upset and like the phone company, like sent somebody to his house and, uh, all this guy did was listen. And then he joined this guy, uh, started a telephone subscribers protective association. And, uh, this, and this, uh, telephone company employee joined it. He's like, I was the second member the there were only two members ever but i was the second member and basically it was like all he said uh this guy considered himself a holy crusader defending the public rights against callous exploitation but in reality what he had really wanted was a feeling of importance yeah and i can tell you like that was the thing when i worked in retail like a constant thing like that i when i was like a manager would always have to like talk employees down about where I'd have to be like, look, that person, obviously something else is going on in their lives that they're extremely upset about and, and have no control over. And that is why they're flipping out on you about, you know, some $50 thing or whatever iPod or something. Yeah. The, you know, why you won't replace their, you know, $10 headphones and why they're, they're like throwing a literal fit about that. It's like their wife probably served them divorce papers this morning. And, uh, you know, their kids told them that they hate them. And now they're like, no, I'm, this is where I'm going to make my stand. I'm not going (laughs) to let, uh, this Apple store employee walk all over me. That's a fun, or that's a good way to calm yourself down. Um, yeah. When you see, like, people uh, that are really upset just being like, oh, this person's just unhappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I don't need to add to their unhappiness. Um, they're unhappy enough without me rubbing salt in their wounds, so I'll just walk away. Yeah. Or, or, you know, and like he's pointing out here, a lot of times it was just like this per this person doesn't want an argument. They don't even necessarily want anything crazy. They just want to rant. They just want to vent. And if like you just let them go, like don't argue them. Don't don't try and talk over them. Just let them go. Like they'll talk themselves out <laughs> and they'll actually more times than not like calm down because it's like they just wanted somebody to hear what their problem was right listening that's all it is yeah and then he gives an example later about just uh like complimenting a guy's hair at the bank (laughs) okay because he (laughs) he gives an example of like you know find something nice to say about somebody and you're uh, always complimenting people's asses (laughs) Exactly. Um, you know, I try oh, and do it in every situation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a that's one hell of a tuchus you got there. Yeah. Looks like you could bounce a quarter off that thing. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Mind I need if I my... grab that can of yours before we leave, <laughs> before we part ways. So anyway, I need an oil change. <laughs> um. But it's very funny because he just kind of gives this example as like, again, like uh, I think it was like, you know, he, he had some business at, at the bank and he could tell this bank teller was like in a bad mood and like this wasn't going to be a good interaction. And he just said to the bank teller like, man, that's a one hell of a head of hair you got there. I'd love to have a head of hair like that. Maybe Dale Carnegie's uh, bald or something. Uh, honestly, he's probably dead by now. If I'm being fair, he wrote this book 90 years ago. I think he yeah, might be dead he by now. It, unless he wrote it as a toddler. Yeah. I think he's almost certainly dead. Uh, but, uh, but he gives his example and, uh, and then he, then he has kind of a rant in this book, which I'm going to read. 
where, you know, I guess he told this story during one of his seminars because he used to give seminars about this stuff before he wrote this book. And uh, this guy like raised his hand. And he's like, eh, what'd you want to get out of that guy? Why'd you say he had nice hair? And he goes, I, I yeah. Sorry, I I have this in here. Let me read the thing. I told the story once in public and a man asked me afterwards, what did you want to get out of him? What was I trying to get out of him? What was I trying to get out of him? If we are so contemptibly selfish that we can't radiate a little happiness and pass on a bit of appreciation, honest appreciation, without trying to get something out of the other person in return, if our souls are no bigger than sour crab apples, we shall meet with the failure that we so richly deserve. Oh, yes, I did not want something out of that chap. I wanted, I, I did want something out of that chap. I wanted something priceless, and I got it. I got the feeling that I had done something for him without his being able to do anything whatsoever in return for me that is a feeling that flows and sings in your memory long after the incident has passed yeah, that's a little lofty <laughs> he's basically just like you know just be nice to people sometimes yeah but like in other parts in the book he's like this is how you get what you need from people right like yeah like when you say like when you title your book how to win friends and influence people right and then be like what was i trying to get out of that guy like you're you're selling getting people to do what you want yeah um, and, all, and you're, and then also you're yelling at somebody for saying like oh you told this anecdote uh what did you want yeah. fuck you asshole you want things <laughs> from people dare you also he was at the bank he probably wanted money yeah uh, Tim, I forgot that I did have in my notes here at the bottom, I summed up, uh, or I didn't sum up, I copy and pasted from the book, the six ways to make people like you. Ooh. Principle one, become genuinely interested in other people. Okay, I think that's fair. I kind of skimmed over that, but he had a lot of stories in there about <laughs> about him being uh, at like cocktail parties. Not do that. <laughs> well, I wasn't interested in it. It wasn't about me. Uh, but like him, him at cocktail parties and like people, people like telling the hosts, like that guy, Dale Carnegie was the most wonderful conversationalist I've ever met. And he's like, all I did was ask them questions about themselves. Right. And that See, is like is the you other hear... thing. Mm -hmm. Like for like the stance he's taking is like, look, we got to be nice to people and listen to people. And he's like. Yep, and that's that's its own reward. And he, and then he's also like, because people are fucking monsters, and all they care about <laughs> are themselves. So if but he's not and so it's just it. like, so he's just basically saying like, yeah, I knew what these animals needed to feel validated, <laughs> and I gave it to them, and that was a great reward to me. No, because the thing is, like, he gives a bunch of examples of like meeting interesting people. And asking them questions and basically being like, I'd rather hear about like this guy's interesting career than like tell them about, you know, I'm not going to learn anything by telling them about me. I'd rather yeah. learn from them. And as as like a side benefit of that, people then uh, genuinely like me because I'm showing interest in them. And that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Principle number two. Principle number two, smile. Okay. Been principle number th principle number three, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language, Tim. Even someone named Agnes. Even somebody named Agnes. Agnes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably even more so to somebody named Agnes because, uh, you know, maybe people don't say their name a lot because it's uh, old yeah. fashioned. Even a guy named Penis. <laughs> Even a guy named Penis? Yeah. Yeah, I think even a guy named Penis, Tim. I bet if a guy named Penis, if somebody used his name without laughing at him, th that would probably he'd probably be so happy. Yeah, it's not gonna be me though. It's not gonna be me, the guy that guy who's not laughing. If somebody, if somebody used his name without laughing or commenting at all, if they were just like, they looked down at a clipboard and they said, uh, penis, you're next. <laughs> make that guy's day, I bet. Yeah. Uh, 
Number four, principle number four, be a good listener, encourage others to talk about themselves. Principle five, talk in terms of the other person's interests, which again, he he gives examples of like, you know, if I'm meeting a botanist and I have an interest in plants too, I'm going to talk to that guy about plants. I'm not going to try and change the conversation to my interests if they're not interests this guy also has. Right. Uh, and principle number six, make the other person feel important and do so sincerely. Okay. Can't argue with that. I think this is a just kind of a disappointment to me in general. Um, I was I was hoping that all these self help books once you once you read them, mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, that's obvious. Um, yeah, of course. And it's, it, there's never like a trick where it's just like, oh, if you just like, uh, like wink in a certain way, they'll be hypnotized yeah. by you and then they'll do whatever you say. Well, that's what, uh, like, uh, that, uh, neuro linguistic programming bullshit is like, that's what they try and teach. Yeah. That's what I wanted to get into. <laughs> that it's like, oh, if you use these words in this way, it will subconsciously make a person like you. I mean, that's also like what a lot of like pickup artist stuff is. Yeah. I know that you know that firsthand. That's why you have all those hats with the weird feathers on them and stuff. Tim, I have those hats with the weird feathers on them just because I would hope that would make me more interesting and that you would then take an interest and you would finally ask me about these hats. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you about the hat. But no, so. you're you're not interested. I'll, uh, I'll never unless, ask you about that. Tom, unless it's my hat, I don't care. I don't care how <laughs> fancy of a hat you have. Um, how are you liking the book? Is is that all? Is that um? Yeah, the that, that's of the, the assigned end of this, reading of, for of, the week? Of, of, of part two. Yeah, uh, it's good. This this part I feel like was a little heavy on anecdotes, and again, a lot of them are anecdotes about the steel industry or the telephone company. <laughs> So they were a little hard to relate to, but uh, still good lessons, I think. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, I still think I'm going to read this book, Tom. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if uh, I'll be able to tell if you read this book, Tim, by knowing if you get a, yeah, even a single friend. Imagine if, we both If one read day this... you introduce me to somebody and All you right. say, Tom, right, I'd Tom. like you to meet my friend. I'll say, Tim, you read that book, didn't you? <laughs> Tom, it would be really weird if we both read, like, um, this show and our other podcasts would become really weird um, if we both read this book and, like, our lives were changed by it and we changed our personalities to it. Uh, I, I think uh, I think everything we do would become unlistenable, even more so. We'd yeah, just be, like, validating each other. Yeah. And and then every week we'd have like a bunch of friends on the show. There would be like a dozen people. Yeah. We'd know all their names. Uh, if we'd know all their names, we'd be like, tell everybody about the, the interesting thing that happened yeah. to you. You like windsurfing. Well, no, let's talk hear all about it. Everything I say is going to be framed by windsurfing to keep you engaged yeah. and happy. Um, oh, you're not interested in hearing me talk about what if Mr. Bean went to look at Jerry Seinfeld's car collection? Well, I guess I'll stop talking about it then. <laughs> yeah, no, that's never going to happen. Uh, so, Tom, yeah. uh, do you feel like you are going mm-hmm. to implement any of these tactics into your actual life? Or it, yeah. do you think this book will have an effect on you either... Um, with you putting effort into it or just by kind of uh, reframing the way you think? Uh, Yeah, and in some ways I think it already has Uh, because I think the one good thing that this in book In some does... ways, Tim, it already has, Tim. <laughs> and Tim, I'll tell you. <laughs> because the the best thing that I think this book does is it it asks you to kind of like step back from a lot of your like day-to-day interactions and think about the other person. Don't just think about yourself. Yeah. And uh, think about what the other person probably wants, what you can do for them, not just what, what they can do for you. 
Yeah. And, uh, and All yeah, right. and don't be so reactive in life, you know, try yeah. and try and kind of, you know, like I said, step back and kind of look at the whole situation in, in more instances. Yeah. Perspective and empathy, huh? I yeah. think that's a message that we can all get behind, especially in these troubled times, Tom. Tim, I agree, Tim. For Books the Podcast, I'm Tim. And I'm Tom. Thanks for being a patron. We love you very much. We love our patrons. We love our patrons. We love our patrons. We'll see you next week. <laughs>